Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Right now, uh, let's talk about whether there are different rules when it comes to uh, whether it's, it comes to hatred of Jews or hatred of Muslims in this country, because we all uh, know about the very well publicised uh, cases of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party and the fact that the uh, uh, yeah the current ongoing investigation by the uh, Equality and Human Rights Commission into Islam, uh, uh, anti-Semitism in the Labour Party and how damaging that has been for that party. But now there was a call for the Conservative Party to face a similar investigation by the Equality and Human Rights Commission over Islamophobia in their case. The Muslim Council of Britain has uh, put in claims of about 300 people, including councillors, advisors and uh, MPs, in a submission to the Commission uh, claiming there is a widespread Islamophobia problem. It also named Boris Johnson for dehumanising and offensive comments about Muslim women wearing the veil. This, of course, when he compared them in an article for the Telegraph uh, to looking like letterboxes and bank robbers. Well, let's talk about this with Mukdad Versi, who's spokesman for the uh, Muslim Council of Britain. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, why do you believe that there is an Islamophobia problem in the Conservative Party? What we've identified is that there is a large number of cases that we put together in a dossier which shows the breadth and the depth of the problem. And what we've seen, unfortunately, is, is what we call three different things. Dismissal, denial and deceit. The first approach by the Conservative Party was to dismiss anyone who brought anything up, then deny there's a problem in the first place, then actually deceive the public. So we've had three three types of things happen. For example, they, uh, uh, the chair at the time said, uh, publicly proclaimed there are no complaints outstanding, but we knew lots of them were outstanding and he was shown to be lying. He said that they act swiftly on cases. We have case after case in, in the dossier that we put together, but they haven't acted swiftly. And Boris Johnson, obviously, the Prime Minister, said very clearly that one bounce and you're out. But we have so many cases where people have been quietly reinstated and put back into the party. And individual candidates who are known by the party to have engaged in Islamophobia in different ways still made MPs. And these, these are real big institutional problems because they are leadership choices. And well, a cultural problem in the society. And what we also have to recognize is that if you look at polling, Zohar Mahe did a poll of, of the Conservative Party members, and two-thirds of the members believe the far-right conspiracy theory that parts of the UK are under Sharia law. Now, where all of these things come from is really problematic, and what we think is very important is not only these individual cases, 
But the culture in the party that has allowed this to happen and fester has to be dealt with quickly so that we can move on and we can have a society where people choose their party based on you know, the politics rather than because they think there's Islamophobia in the... Yeah, absolutely. Well, we know, I mean, the former party chairwoman, uh, Byroness Sedevasi, uh, has said that Islamophobia ran deep and wide among conservatives and she's accused partially of allowing it to fester. Um, I mean, this is the thing. The, the arguments against the Jeremy Corbyn in terms of anti-Semitism was that, you know, that he himself uh, had in some way inspired a lot of people who were anti-Semitic to join the party, to become new members, and that no action was being taken or action taken very late in the day, if at all, uh, against people. And and again, this is now the concern with the Conservative Party. I mean, certainly, I, I certainly have not perceived there to be the same level of problem. And there is an issue, and we'll come on to this, in terms of what we mean by Islamophobia. I'm not entirely happy with that word. Which it's, it's it's a kind of newly invented word. Anti-Muslim hatred, uh, I, I think, is a, is a pretty better description. Some of, the, some of the things that you've identified are, I mean, I don't know where anyone could even have a query over this. A former council candidate commenting on the death of a Muslim shopkeeper in a post saying one down 1.6 million to go in another post they said muslims go away back to pakistan and from wherever you came from you're not in a muslim country you're not wanted here and one i just read out earlier uh saying uh, a former councillor again claiming that muslims don't deserve human rights as we understand them partly because of their animal-like behavior and partly because they reject our western value system i mean this is out and out anti-Muslim hatred, it's bigotry, it's prejudice, and those people have no place in polite society, let alone in any political party. Um, the, the question is how widespread it is and whether or not the the top the leadership of the party is taking it seriously. Do you believe they are now taking it seriously? And if they are, is it only because it's become public? I think, that's, you know, I think you've hit the nail on the head here. This is a real question. And for us, uh, we've been talking about this for a while, and we don't think the party has been taking it seriously. And what, what we've seen, and actually what other senior members of the Conservative Party who aren't in government, you know, Muslims who are there in the, in the party, who, who've dedicated their whole lives to the party. These aren't people who, who don't care about the party or who might have a partisan reason for attacking the party. You know, they, they really care about the party. And what they see is that only when things are made public do, does, you know, a, apparent action happen. So we have, for, we have so many cases where in private things were raised, nothing happened. When a news story came out, uh, there was a statement by the chair, swift action is taken, this person has been suspended. Yeah. And then we find out 13 days later that person's been let back into the party. Yeah, and I mean, no, that is very telling. Point. However, yeah. is there an issue? I mean, I look, I don't think anyone, <laughs> any right-minded person is going to have any issue with those people uh, being, I say, uh, hounded from the party and, and publicly shamed. And what, again, and we're not talking about he said, she said cases here. We are talking about people, their own posts with their name above them, you know, the, the clear categorical evidence as we used to have uh, in the case of the anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. But when this often gets conflated as it does conflated as it does with say Boris Johnson's article in the Telegraph in which he referred to women wearing the burqa and the knee covers looking like letterboxes or bank robbers not I have to say I didn't like those two descriptions it, he said it, it was it was to be a light-hearted comment flippant comment I I would not use that language myself um however I don't believe it's islamophobic and there are a lot of people who might be listening to this right now and say you, you shouldn't conflate someone being critical of a garment which in itself dehumanises uh, women by making them faceless in our society with people who are expressing quite clear prejudice and bigotry against Muslim people. Yeah, so, so of course there is a, a scale. Like, like with all types of racism, there's a scale, right? So you have stuff which is out-and-out incitement to hatred and violence and yeah. stuff which is 
um, racism at a, at a sort of more dinner table test level. And they're different levels and they have different consequences and all of them have to be treated in a, in a different way because you have to look at uh, things on a case-by-case basis. I mean, I, uh, many Muslim communities might have had a, have had a very different view on, on understanding Boris Johnson's comments. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Let's talk to Neil Dixon, who's Chief Executive of the NHS Confederation. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Now, we spoke uh, last week. Things clearly are moving on now. We've seen uh, a big spike in the number of cases over the last uh, couple of days. Uh, we are uh, now also seen the very first death on British soil. And again, from somebody who'd not been travelling to Wuhan or another affected area, uh, but seems to have had the transmission in this country. Um, evidence from Chris Whitty, the chief medical officer yesterday to the Health Select Committee, suggested you know, we are on the brink of moving officially uh, to uh, this delay phase. Can you tell us what that actually involves? In terms of, I mean, you know, talk, those words have meaning to us, but what does it actually practically involve for not just healthcare professionals, but the government as well? Well, I suppose the first point to make is that they sound as if you move from one thing and then you start doing something completely different, whereas it isn't quite like that. You're doing additional things, really. In the contained phase, which we've been in, it's about it's trying to detect any cases that are around, following up their close contacts, trying to pre- prevent the disease you know, taking hold in this country for as long as possible. When you get to delay, you accept the fact that it is spreading within this country. It's not just people who've come from abroad. And now your job is to try and slow the spread as far as possible. And actually quite a lot of the things you do in contain, you continue to do. Uh, But the idea of delay is to try and lower the the peak impact and try and sort of push it away from the winter season because the warm weather helps because it helps to kill the virus. Well, well, like I said, can I tackle on that? Because I've constantly seen this uh, online, people saying, well, this is the big hope because, again, flu and colds tend to go down when we get to warmer weather. But we have seen massive outbreaks in places, you know, like like Hong Kong. And yes, I was in Singapore. It was 33 degrees. Uh, That didn't stop the virus from spreading. No, of course it doesn't stop the virus from spreading. I think um, there's also, incidentally, the question of, flu is a seasonal and a lot of the other things that we're having to cope with are seasonal so the system's already under strain with these infectious diseases they do tend to disappear not disappear they tend to go down when you head into the warmer period so that means that the 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 system in theory is under a little less strain than it would otherwise be going forward as well um i'm not a virologist but Mm -hmm. as i understand it there are also advantages just in terms of it the 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 degree of spread yeah and just now to your point about you know what you actually what was delay actually involved i think well first of all you'll see a lot more you're beginning to see it publicity around hand washing i think we'll hear stuff around social distancing particularly in relation to vulnerable people uh, a lot of talk about self-isolation to uh, both prevent the spread, but also to protect the vulnerable. So, again, we're probably a bit away from this. But you could, for example, I think the word is cocoon, places like, you know, an old people's home or something like that, where it ha- they have no virus at all, but you, you sort of protect them by reducing the amount of contact that they have because the people within there are much more vulnerable than the rest of the uh, yeah. population. Uh, so there'll be more testing. I mean, we're already ramping up the testing big time. Uh, eventually, you won't bother testing people who are, you know, who, who are not very ill. They'll just stay at home as if they had it, and it really 
and they'll, they'll self-isolate during that period. But I think at this stage, more testing and more testing in the community and uh, of course there are some drive-ins and all that. And again, it's really trying to protect hospitals and GP surgeries from people going in there when they don't need to go in there and so forth. Eventually we will see, I'm sure, uh, cancellation of operations, cancellation of routines. And that's the great thing because the health service is under enormous pressure but it does have quite a, an ability to flex, not an infinite ability, I hate that, but it does have the ability to flex, which means that they can clear out wards, they can reduce the use of currently intensive care, uh, they can expand the number of sort of intensive care beds to provide respiratory support for patients. So there are a whole series of things that I think will go on. And then staff planning is the other thing. You really need to, uh, at local level, that's what our members are doing now. So they'll be thinking about the recently retired. You've got to be careful about older people anyway involved, medical students, using academics. There's there's an army of academics who work kind of part-time and they would be uh, pulled in. I think there are uh, also clinicians working in industry and so on. So it would be all hands to the pump. But this is, I mean, and I can understand obviously in the times of crisis that obviously we, we absolutely want that to happen. And yet we've got, was it 100,000 staff vacancies, not just, you know, doctors, nurses, uh, other other skilled clinicians, and, and all the way down, you know, to the hospital borders and the like. Um, a lot of people will be quite frustrated that, that we, we can't seem to sort of get the NHS together to, and recruiting people uh, in, in normal times when we're told we have this sort of 24 hour, 365. Uh, NHS winter crisis these days uh, and yet now they will be able to pull together. I mean, as much as I applaud them for pulling together now, there won't there be many people who think, oh, you know, could, couldn't this have happened already? I think it's a different kind of thing, isn't it? it it's saying to people, this will be for a very short period. Of In a crisis. Very short, but not not long term. OK, that, that, makes, that makes sense. After nine weeks or so on, you couldn't sustain this. And let's be honest, you know, people like me are asked questions about, you know, will it all collapse and so forth. And and the message has to be a reassuring one. On the other hand, you know, of course, if this thing went much worse than we think it's going to work, that work, then you can imagine the health service at some point, no health system in the world, will cope with everybody being ill, every member of staff not able to cope and so on. So it, 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 we have to plan for what we think is a reasonable worst case. And under a reasonable worst case, I think the advice from the, the virologists and the clinicians and so forth is, yeah, we'll cope. I mean, it'll be very difficult and it will require an awful lot of change in the way that uh, the service works. Yeah, indeed. And, and again, it's going to be a lot of change in terms of who is in beds in hospital. Uh, and it's yeah. going to have a big effect on social care as well, isn't it? Because something like 60% of people in hospital are elderly people with lots of chronic, uh, yeah. ma- many different conditions. Um, and there are now big attempts to try and remove, remove some of those people, as you say, the, the horrible phrase, bed blockers. Uh, often, they, you know, there simply is nowhere else for them to go to get them out of where they perhaps don't need critical care, uh, even hospital care. They just need round-the-clock care, move them into care homes, get them out out of the beds so that they could be freed for coronavirus patients. Um, this is going to involve a level of joined up thinking for which, be, let's be honest, government isn't normally very good at. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. 
wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Obviously, yesterday we woke up to the news that a fly bee had collapsed overnight. A uh, really, really uh, big uh, concern for uh, passengers who'd already had tickets, as we were saying yesterday. Don't go to the airport. Same again for today. Those flights will not be taking off. 2,400 job losses and 15,000 passengers uh, left stranded across the UK and Europe. But uh, fly bees owners, a consortium including Virgin Atlantic, the Stobart Group and the hedge fund firm uh, Cyrus Capital, blamed the coronavirus as hastening uh, the uh, collapse of the airline. They were already in dire financial straits. It had a deferment on the payment of air passenger duty, the tax they owed the government. Uh, but uh, they basically uh, were, had no chance of continuing once we saw that massive downturn in the number of uh, flights being booked uh, as a result of the virus. But last night, passengers accused flyby bosses of betraying millions of travels, travellers and the staff. Well, let's talk about this with Simon Calder, who's travel editor for The Independent. Good morning to you, Simon. Uh, good morning, good morning. Julia, just for the record. Um, I know we have to say that I have never clubbed a fox to death. Indeed, I don't think I've um, uh, deliberately um, imposed any kind of uh, uh, harm on any animal I, I, ever. I, do feel, I think just... from now on we're going to ask all of our guests that. Have you ever been charged by the RSPCA with animal cruelty? And is that because you have never yourself, unlike certain Ramona QCs, Julia Moore, clubbed a fox to death and then bragged about it on social media? But there we are. Thank you for clarifying that, Simon. I'll make Thank sure you. I shall ask all cabinet ministers in the future as well. Uh, let's get on to the serious stuff because look, Flybe, it is a serious issue. Uh, not only is it is it is you know, one of our biggest air, regional airlines uh, in the UK, in some airports it's pretty much the only airline available and in a huge number of airports, including Birmingham it's one of the biggest as well. Um, this this collapse of this airline is going to be an issue. Um, look, in the immediate aftermath, people can get trains, people can, you know, hire cars if they need to, or whatever it is they need to, to get back. But in terms of the long term, will there be other airlines stepping in to replace place the routes that Flybe has? Uh, well, it all depends how you define the routes. Um, they will certainly not be going back in on a lot of the uh, strange routes that um, uh, Flybe operated. I mean, Birmingham to Lyon, I really can't see that uh, ever being replaced. But of course, they will go back in on the routes where they think they will make money. And we're already seeing that uh, Logan Air has uh, announced a whole lot of uh, new routes, particularly to and from its home base in Scotland, uh, just in the past few minutes. Aurigny, which is um, you may not uh, know it's the uh, uh, Guernsey based airline they've said that they will be stepping up uh, services to cope with the 
absence of flyby and the, the the key areas as far as i can see them are the channel islands and uh, belfast because uh, clearly there there is no easy uh, terrestrial alternative to those two uh, links and i think those will be the term which i don't quite uh, get is backfilled um i think filled would would do it um with with other airlines coming in but ultimately if um, flyby had a dozen uh, destinations in england wales and scotland from belfast city well probably six or eight of those might be reinstated the rest well one reason that uh, flyby was losing two million pounds a week and that was even before coronavirus in, in, I mean, intervened. This is the thing. Because um, most of their routes didn't make any money, I mean, or they, many of their routes yes. didn't make any money. And that's a problem, isn't it? Uh, and there were, that's the element where the government did want to step in. They wouldn't perhaps step in to help you know, easy yet. But, but the point is that they, they do provide a service which w is, there isn't an alternative for. But long term, they weren't viable, were they? Oh, no. Um, they, they were. Uh, look, for 40 years, they have been delivering great service connecting um, uh, various parts of the UK. It's just no fun being a regional airline um, because you've got this constant tightrope between uh, putting your fares too low and having your planes too empty. And then as soon as you make a go of a route, say uh, uh, Bristol to Edinburgh or Glasgow or Newcastle, then along comes EasyJet or someone else and says, yeah. right, thanks very much. We're going to reduce the fares, increase the capacity and uh, Flybe gets ch uh, chased away. Um, and add to that a lot of mistakes that the airline made. I mean, that you had this mad fares war three years ago between um, uh, Flybe and Loganair. Um, you know, who can who can lose the most money flying to the Western Isles and the Northern Isles? It was just absolutely ridiculous. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer weekday mornings from six thirty on Talk Radio. Also going to be talking about the case of Harry Dunn. There's a, a judicial review documents which are coming out this afternoon, which could be game changer in terms of the ability uh, to get Ansakoulis uh, back in the country to face charges over the death of Harry Dunn in that car accident. Also, why more than a quarter of men around the world think it's acceptable to tell sexual jokes and stories at work. I'll be talking about that as well. I wonder if my next guest would have a view of that. Uh, she is Helen Lewis. She's the author of Difficult Women, A History of Feminism in 11 Fights. Good morning to you. Good morning. I'm instantly attracted to any book which why, is called why is that, Difficult Women. I, I don't, I'd, I'd love to know what these women are like. No, I, I can't imagine <laughs> what that would be like. I'm gutted. I'm not one of them. Um, now, um, it, it's, you've, it's not your first book. It you, is my first is book. It, I'm, I'm just very elderly and you think that I haven't I written do, a book I just, now. I just think you're very, you're, you're very scholarly and <laughs> You, you, I, I, I'm, I thought you'd written before. I mean, you certainly contributed yeah. um, to, to, to other books before. Um, you wanted to write a history of feminism um, uh, and in 11 fights. Why have you chosen... Well, why do you call them difficult women? And why have you chosen these particular 11 fights? Well, I kind of wanted to write a book that you could give to, you know, my niece, who's a teenager, for example, who just doesn't, you know, hasn't got any of this background. Where is the place where you go and find out this kind of very basic information? I don't know if you've ever asked to, you know, try to ask for information on Twitter. It's not always the most friendly, no. helpful <laughs> place for, for, for clearing up small matters like that. But I just thought, you know, this is something that I could do. I, I've written about this subject 
it for 10 years now um, and kind of give people some pretty basic information. But how do you do that without it being a dull textbook? And so the way I thought was let's look at individual fights because the fight for the vote, you know, something happened there. One day women couldn't vote and then the next day they could. Um, You know, look at the foundation of women's refuges in this country. Look at the first lesbian MP who came out in the 1970s, way before the men were doing it. Um, And I thought, actually, you know what, I want to also spend some time with some women who made a difference. And the thing that came across really strongly, and is, is the reason for the title, is you only change the world, really, if you've got a problem with the world. Yeah. Nice, easygoing people who want a quiet life don't change the world. They just get Suddenly on with, with living their lives. But the interesting thing is also, it's new. We need a lot of talk about, you know, Pankhurst and the suffragettes and things. Um, uh, back, back here two years ago, we, we celebrated the anniversary of women uh, first getting the vote. It seemed to pass a lot of people's notice that it was only women above a certain age. It was 30, wasn't it? In property owners, yeah. Property, and property owners. It, it, and uh, it actually, 19. 28 was the real time when actually you know, women got the votes on the same basis as men for the very first time. But but it's interesting, it's not, feminism isn't just about just the vote, is it? This is a crucial thing that you've looked into these 11 feminist fights, uh, so it's the vote, it's it's divorce, yeah. sex, play, work, safety, love, education, abortion, uh, time, and, and the frankly the right to be. A difficult Hi, woman. you and me, a yeah. difficult woman. Um, and, and, and this is the thing, I can, I'm talking to my mum, who's a you know, 1960s uh, uh, you know, feminist um, and very proudly a feminist, um, in terms of just how different the world was. And I was still amazed that, you know, w- you know well into my teenage years, um, my mum couldn't submit her tax returns without her husband signing them off. That's right. really very recent. And her any rebate that she got would have gone to him, which he was then expected to pass on. And you can see how that Well, was... if she could be trusted to spend it. Well, that's the thing, if you could see how that was the laying of down of a way to control women. You know, they didn't control their own money. I was my mind was blown by some of the stuff. You know, rape and marriage only the court case about that was nineteen ninety one that that was ruled to be illegal. Until nineteen ninety one. Once you, you had married, you had consented to all sex whenever with your husband. That was that was the, the way that the law regarded it. And it was only established in ninety one that wasn't the case. Something nineteen eighty two, two brilliant women, um Teskill and Anna Coote, walked into Elvino's pub on Fleet Street. You might have been into it, had its could possibly disappointing. I remember going Going in, not leaving. Put it right. that way, yes. <laughs> and it's slightly disappointing nachos, but it's excellent selection of wines. Um, and they were told, you know, they, at the time, women couldn't get served at the bar. You had to go and sit at the back at a table and order your drinks from there. And that and was I- legal. And that, well, as it turned out, it wasn't legal. They'd just been getting away with doing it. The Sex Discrimination Act should have outlawed it. But, you know, they were told at the time that, oh, well, actually, do you really want to order at the bar? You know, don't, do you like getting jostled by men? Isn't it much nicer to sit at the back? And that kind of fake chivalry, I think, yeah. is such a, a powerful force that women are kind of disempowered. Oh, don't you, don't you want men to take care of you? Well, I mean, not... hold, hold the door for me when I'm carrying a hot cup of tea, yes, but other than that, I'm, but, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, but hold the door for <laughs> anyone carrying a hot yes, cup of tea. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be a gender-based thing. And I think but if you said that today's 17-year-olds, uh, like, overnight tomorrow we're going to change it so you can no longer order at the bar, they would think this was something out of, you know, science well, fiction. This is interesting. You, you're quite brave to put the F word, as it seems to now be, in yeah. the title of this book, because it's extraordinary now, the surveys that show how few women regard themselves as feminists. And, and, and uh, I, I'm, I'm card-carrying capital F. I'm constantly told I'm not a feminist, because apparently I don't have a lot of the correct views, but I always make the distinction between feminists and feministas. There's a, there's a whole sort of third, fourth wave. I don't really know what people think. I was just raised by a, a mum who believed you know, as I do, that men and women should be treated equally, have equal rights, and uh, and and that's the end of the matter. And I've and I've never really ever questioned that. And I don't know why anyone who's sane, um, who believes in basic equal rights, why you wouldn't think that. But there now seem 
to be millions and millions of young women who I would look on the face of it and think, well, they must be feminists. They must be, you know, they're you know, bullshy women mm. who don't think they they think feminism is a dirty word. Why do you think that is? I think it's it's unfortunately it's it's attributable to the success of feminism, right? If all those young women didn't have the vote, the ability to marry who they wanted, couldn't go couldn't go and buy a drink in the bar, couldn't buy a drink in a bar, they'd they'd know about it and they'd really feel it. But actually, we've come reasonably far, so that particularly I think when you're younger, particularly when you're in your twenties, your life doesn't look very different to the men around you. You know, you can get. But we know that. women are earning the same amount at right. that point. And... You can get the same high powered job. You know, women are now the majority of undergraduates in universities. Your life opportunities and chances do look pretty the same and then the things begin to rack up you know maybe you get sexually harassed at work maybe you get sexually assaulted maybe you need you know contraception maybe you need you know you get raped maybe you have a miscarriage maybe you know all of these things begin to rack up through women's lives and they begin to realize that the world has been subtly not built for them and actually that they are facing discrimination and i think for you know i think it's very impressive to be a feminist at 17 Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.